I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone. I think you need to buckle yourselves in. This is a fantastic episode. My guest for today is Jennifer D'Amato, and we have a fabulous time talking about some really serious stuff. So I will say no more. Let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. You are all in for a treat. We have a podcaster interviewing a podcaster, a passionate person interviewing a passionate person. This is going to be a very lively conversation. I would like to welcome all of you to the show, Jennifer D'Amato. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Karen, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and like talk about being in good company. This is so exciting that I I sometimes I forget that I'm actually recording for an audience. So everyone, if I drift off into some tangential conversation, we're just going to have to bear with it. So Jennifer, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, like Karen said, I'm Jennifer D'Amato. I'm an intuitive eating counselor and coach. I'm also a podcaster, like Karen said. I am the host of the Intuitive Eating Mama podcast because I am the intuitive eating mama. I'm actually a mom of four daughters, which usually is the thing that stops everyone in their tracks and goes, what? Are you kidding? How do you do that? What? And they're preteens and teenagers. So <laughs> raising four girls. And the best thing about that is I'm raising four daughters to be intuitive eaters who also accept their body, especially through, we've been through puberty, man, for years. I feel like that's all I've been living in. So being able to give my daughters this gift of trusting and accepting their body. Like if there's anything else I do in this world, that to me is the joy that I bring. But I also work with other women who have been chronic yo-yo dieting, disordered eating 25 years or more. That's usually the average of women that I work with and honest to goodness, watching them heal their relationship with food, stop feeling guilty about everything they eat, accept their body that right there. Oh, I feel like I'm living into my purpose. That's, that's me. Like that's me. There's my nutshell for you. <laughs> Watching people live their own purpose and live out their own values, as opposed to being prisoners in their mind of food, body image, things such as that is a powerful thing that we get the honor. I think it's an honor to witness as I see my clients move through this. Yeah. And you just said something that really, I think is, is something to even look at 
being prisoners of our own mind, but I think we spend so many years not knowing we're in the prison. The prison has become a norm, right? The prisons become, well, everybody's in prison then because it is this perpetual way of being. If you're not on a diet, you're thinking about the next diet. If you're not focused on losing weight, there's probably something wrong. Like you should probably be even been thinking about, I need to lose weight. We live in this prison and it's when we actually acknowledge that's what it is is when we're ready to step into the work. And I know for me personally, I lived in it for so long. I, when I saw it, I was like, how the hell do I get out? Like, how can I get out of the prison? You can't unsee it once you see it. But I think even podcasts like this, bringing the attention of the prison is so important. I would love for you to share a little bit of your story about how you got to where you are today, because what you do now is powerful, spiritual, community-based connecting. And I am trying to imagine, and by the way, this is not about my family. I'm trying to imagine what it would have been like for me to grow up in a home where everything was body positive or body neutral, doesn't it? Body neutral, body acceptance, eating intuitively, no such thing as good food, bad food, not reading labels. So start with what got you here. And then I want you to talk a little bit about why you're raising your four precious souls or how, how big questions, right? Yeah, (laughs) I, it is. And honestly, I'm fighting back tears. Like listening to you talk about it brings tears to my eyes because I didn't grow up like they're growing up. And I I always say, you know, I don't hold anything against my own mother. She was doing what she was raised. Like, again, culturally, when we think about the impact, you know, we're all influenced by something. And diet culture has been influencing us as, as women, people for a very, very long time. The first time I can distinctly remember dieting was 17. 17 years old, I was a senior in high school. That wasn't the first time I hated my body. I always had these larger thighs and I was, I say affectionately, it wasn't affection, but affectionately called thunder thighs. It was one of those labels that stuck with me, even in my disordered eating, you still have thunder thighs. So this affectionate name, like I would hear it at home and it wasn't meant to be hurtful, but it stuck with me. So 17 years old, I said, I got to do something about these thunder thighs. I was in a small body, but I believed there was something wrong with it. I had those Nestle carnation instant shakes, it chalk in a cup. That's what I started with. And I really believe well, I can just eat less. And that's what I started doing 17 years old. It didn't work. It backfired, but I just believed my first belief. There's something wrong with me. I don't have enough willpower. Insert college. I went to college at 17 years old. And of course, freshman 15 was such a thing. It, it still is. Unfortunately, I, I heard that from my daughter recently. I was so hoping for some reason it'd be gone. It's not. But I really believe like I have to do something with myself. I have to work out. So I started working out and I actually discovered, oh, I kind of like this. This is fun. But the intent of working out was to lose weight. Like I still like, okay, I got to lose weight, especially because I'm probably doing some things like 
partying <laughs> and drinking and eating and all these things that I think like you shouldn't be doing all of this. So to make up for it, again, that beginning belief of you have to earn and burn, you have to make up for what you've done. I started working out. Time kind of went on and I was constantly in the, I need to improve work on my body. What happened was though, is I was actually engaged pretty young. I met my husband when I was 17 and I was like, I have to lose weight for the wedding. Another belief that I think is just completely pushed upon people, especially women. My husband at the time, he felt it too. You have to lose weight for the wedding. And of course we venture into this thing. I lose nothing, feel worse. He loses all this weight. I'm mad at him for no apparent reason. And I'm just like, well, I guess, what am I going to do now? So I go into adulthood hating the fact that I can't seem to manipulate my body enough. And this just goes on for years and years. I got pregnant at the age of like 24, my first kid at 25. And honestly, the first time in my life was when I was pregnant because I had four kids pretty close together. Every couple of years, there was a new beautiful daughter being born. I actually allowed myself to eat and I didn't feel guilty for the weight gain. It is the only time I can remember since the age of 17, like I experienced just being able to eat. Well, as soon as that was over, so was that feeling. I went right into dieting again. I tried everything under the sun. I mean, anything you were doing, if Jennifer Aniston promoted it, I probably tried it. I mean, honest to goodness, anything I could think of. And I was miserable and nothing really happened. My body didn't seem to change and I just felt worse about myself. Well, <laughs> online coaching world appears and a friend talks about this online coach. And I said, all right, I'm going to give this, this is going to be the answer. Well, I found macro counting and it was really that lifestyle wellness diet. The thing I, that's packaged up I don't mean, in a pretty I'm, bow. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but I have to say, I love the way you said lifestyle wellness, meaning it's complete bullshit. No, that is absolutely what it is. <laughs> I like that. It's like the asterisk that it needed, right? Yep. Like, yep. And it really is. It's packaged up in this pretty bow. And unfortunately, it's the thing that led me to probably the lowest point in my life. I really actually believed I wasn't dieting. I wasn't eating anything my children were eating. I wasn't allowing myself anything off of my food plan. I was exercising six days a week, two to three hours a day. Everything. I couldn't go to a restaurant without previewing the menu. I was so stuck on the scale. I weighed myself multiple times a day. Earn and burn like that. Uh, it was like earn and burn times 10,000. Everything was tracked to a T. Now I lost all this weight. And so what happened when I lost all this weight is everyone's like, you're amazing. Jen, you're so great. What are you doing? How are you doing this? Wow. Look at you. I admire you. And what that did was really perpetuate this problem I had, which was I hated my body. And I believed like so many, if I lose weight, I'll like it more. I'll finally be okay with myself. And in fact, the opposite was true. I felt worse about myself. I can remember the day I stood on the scale that I hit the, at the time, goal weight because I was going to Hawaii. And again, look at what we do. My gosh, talk about trying to ruin a trip. I worked out the entire time in Hawaii. I'm just going to say you don't ever, if you want ruin a trip to Hawaii by working out every day and mandating it is so. Anyway, I remember standing on the scale, looking at that number 
and I cried. I made the, the goal and nothing in my life was different. And I was so tired. I look back at those pictures and everything around my eyes is dark. I can remember feeling sad, moody. I had zero sex drive, which that's terrible. Like we don't talk about that enough. I was exhausted mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I was so worn out. I had injuries I would work out through. I mean, it was just nonstop. And then my daughter, my sweet oldest at the time said, mom, why are you so tired? You take a nap like every day. It was like something that stopped me in my tracks. She saw everything. I really actually had convinced myself my kids don't notice. I had convinced myself they, they're not hearing or seeing any of this. Well, that was wrong. At least the older two at the time had seen and heard everything. So it was kind of the wake-up call I needed to say something has to change. I didn't know what it was, but I knew as soon as I stopped dieting, I started gaining weight. Fear set in. I was terrified. Thankfully, I had already read Intuitive Eating, this amazing book. <laughs> it's been around since the 90s. I had already read it once, but I read it with a different lens. The first time I read it, I was like, I could use this to lose weight. Like, oh, oh my goodness gracious. Talk about why it doesn't work. I read it again with this new lens. Like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't sustain this. And I don't want my daughters to diet. Like, why? I don't want them to follow in this. They're okay with where they are at least from what I understood at the time, they were pretty young and I didn't want them to follow in these footsteps. I'm like, what am I doing? So I read intuitive eating and cried. <laughs> I probably cried a lot during this. It was almost like a grieving, a grieving of what we, I thought what I was going to have a grieving of this body. I thought I was supposed to be in a grieving of all the time, money, energy. I had given to something that didn't work anyway. Cause as soon as you stop dieting, everything comes back at you. And I did. So what happened was I, I started gaining weight and I had a lot of work to do. Like that's where the work began for me was a lot of thought work on bodies. I wasn't familiar with health at every size at the time, man, I feel like I'm a different person for so many reasons now. <laughs> and what I did was hard stop in my house. No more diet talk, no more body talk removing labels of foods. You had said it at the beginning. There was no more good and bad. I really do take a very neutral approach. Sometimes I go into the positive, but I would say for the most part, it's everything's neutral. And sometimes that means I don't say, you know, this is a good food, bad food, of course, anymore. And sometimes I don't even talk about nutrient dense. I just say, this is a bowl of blueberries. This is a bowl of Cheetos. <laughs> they are what they are. This food has its place. When I, I watch my kids, <laughs> again, four girls, all intuitive eaters. They know when they're hungry. They stop when they're full. If they don't like something, they don't take their time with it. Now, it's not to say, I, I want to be very clear that my daughters, you know, aren't affected by the world around them. I got a message from my oldest even recently. She's like, wow, is the freshman 15 present at college, like everyone's talking about their bodies. And she's, and I'm like, well, how are you? How are you handling that? Like how you feel? She's like, I don't like, I'm not participating. I move, I eat, I'm enjoying life. Like it's not, it, she just can't believe because our house doesn't focus on weight. It doesn't talk about that. And so for her to hear it so much now, 
is kind of overwhelming. Like, wow, this really is such a big issue. Now, I know that was like a long story to kind of get here to the present day of raising these intuitive eaters. And I want to say, keep going. I love the way you're sharing this whole story. This whole narrative is beautiful. So Jennifer, keep going. Okay, well, here we are, present day. Um, I just recently was um, reflecting on, you know, raising intuitive eaters. And as I was sitting there, I was in, in my office where I'm sitting talking to you today, and I there's this smell in my house. It, it's breakfast time, if you will. It's morning. And I'm smelling fried rice, shrimp fried rice. I'm like, what is happening? One of my daughters, that's what she wanted for breakfast that day. Now I have this advantage, you know, for your listeners to know I homeschool my kids. So they're here. They have a little bit more flexibility in their time. And clearly in making (laughs) shrimp fried rice for breakfast. And I actually, you know, I had my daughter come in. This is my third born, like, Hey, can you tell me about this? Like, I even wanted to understand her thought. She's like, well, nothing was speaking to me this morning. And then I thought, I really love the shrimp fried rice. And she goes, people in Japan have rice for every meal, which is true. She's really, you know, loves the Japanese culture. My husband used to travel there. And she's like, why can't I have (laughs) fried rice? And she wasn't asking me, why can't I have it? She was like, it didn't even dawn on her that it wouldn't be something she could have. So my kids have also been able to serve themselves. I think that's really important. It's a hard thing to let go of is for them to say, I want more. I've had enough. And I think this is a big one. I don't like that. So something I educated myself on is this concept of self-silencing, where kids don't feel like they can express themselves. So I decided we're going to do away with, like, you can't have an opinion. You eat whatever I put on the table. Now, I don't, I'm not a short order cook. I don't do any of that. But what my children know they can say is, I tried this and I, I just don't care for it. Okay. Now, some of them will even say, I'm not even going to have that. I have one daughter who hates soup. Who hates soup? It's soup. She doesn't like soup. So she literally will make something. She'll have cereal. We'll have soup and she'll eat a bowl of cereal and we'll sit together. And she's happy as can be. So I, (laughs) I used to struggle a lot with, they wouldn't eat a lot of dinner. They'd come back like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later. And I'd be like, how can they still be hungry? And then I started noticing I wasn't satisfied with dinner because I didn't really love what I was eating. And I'm wanting something later too. I'm like, wait a minute. If I feel that way, maybe they do too. I stopped saying anything. I, do, this, I always think people think this is free for all. There's really not. There's respect for one another. They are still hungry. I give them that space to grab something else to eat. If they're full, we don't have a clear your plate club in this house at all. And so what I'm noticing as they get older, again, teenagers, man, their bodies are constantly going through something or other. And what I'm noticing is they seem at peace. I literally will spend time watching them live into this watching them and their food preferences, what they like. So even like when I go to the grocery store, one thing I implement is here's a piece of paper, write down some things you think you would like this week, because I do the same thing for myself. Like, what would I like? So I invite them into that so that their satisfaction, that piece that we all desire, they get to light that up for themselves. Again, this is not an overnight fix. This wasn't something I just boop. I did stop the food language right away. 
But then as they've gotten older, I've been able to have conversations because I think you developmentally have to understand, like, I'm not going to have a body conversation (laughs) with my five-year-old if she's not bringing it up. Like, I just didn't do that. But when they are 11 and 12 and 14 and 17, those conversations are very different. And again, there's this space to say what you feel to say what's really going on. And that's the environment that I've created because like, again, you said this at the beginning that gives me tears. I can't imagine what my life would have been like if no one was saying, do you really need another helping? Haven't you had enough? You need to eat all that. Or watching my mother diet after diet after diet and just constantly be striving for that smaller body. I can't imagine what it would have been like. I always maybe do a little bit of picturing. Maybe I never would have started. Maybe I would have been okay. But now I actually get to walk it out as the parent. Because I do believe, I can't foresee the future, but I do believe they'll have a lot less of that pressure. I can't say zero because here we are, but a lot less of that pressure because of how they've been raised in this house with food. I also want to point out that you are not looking at them as separate. Like, well, adults are different. We can't eat this or we can't eat that. You can, we can't. And where I'm going with that is no matter what you allowed your your daughters to do. So say you said to your daughters, there's no such thing as good food, bad food. Live your life, have fun, love, laugh, whatever. But you didn't model that. And, you know, by the way, if you kept working out every time you went on vacation, your daughters are going to assume at a certain age, a woman has to start working out on every vacation. At a certain age, a woman can no longer, and and I'm using woman for this example, it could be man, it could be non-binary. But the, the thing is, is that I've had so many parents say to me, I don't know where this came from. We never say anything to them about the way they eat. Like I diet, but that's me. And I'm like, wait, what? What? And again, this is never blaming the parent. This it's not about blame, but it's about what are you showing them? What are you doing? Because kids also get it. They their young minds are are pretty. They're, they're smart. They internalize a lot. So they may not think about it now, but there's going to be a time when one of your daughters went on vacation. And if you were still doing all of this, counting your calories, you know, looking at everything before you went out to eat, exercising every day, eventually she would pick up that torch, shall we say, or that baton and run into adulthood with it. Yeah, that's actually something... I talk with my clients a lot about because they have these internalized messages. And I said, you know, that's the truth. As a child, I wasn't thinking about my mother dieting. I wasn't thinking about, you know, the 15th time she signed up for Weight Watchers and and thinking, oh, I'm going to do that someday. But we do see those things. And again, that wake up call for me was my daughter's observation she said out loud. It's not that the others weren't seeing. I'm sure all four of them saw the same mother constantly exhausted. She said the observation out loud. And again, that's an internalized message. That's something I actually came back to as they got older. And I've shared a little bit more of my story 
with them, the, 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 the ugly parts that <laughs> they were internalizing these messages. And I even think as a, as an adult, it's okay, like to go there, reflect on what did I observe? What might I have taken from that? I don't do the blame game. I don't do the blame game with myself either. Part of the journey was even forgiving myself that I got so deep into it. And not that I needed to forgive my mother. I think she didn't know. I don't blame her, but man, to be able to see it and to be able to release it, to be able to let that go. That's, that's part of this healing that I, I think has to be done because if you continue to hang on to those, if you don't kind of dig in a little bit to let those go, it's harder to really build. Okay. So what is health for you? What does health mean for your body? What, what are, what do you want to believe about food, about bodies in general? Like when I, it was like, I let that go and I created a blank space to then redefine for myself. What does it mean to be healthy for Jennifer? What does it mean to um, accept myself, my body, to not struggle with food anymore? Like, what does it mean? And start writing that definition out to walk out that definition. Because for so long, I think we spend all this time letting somebody else, something else, a program, you know, these messages define what is healthy, what our bodies are supposed to look at. And we think it's our own definition, but when you really look at it, it's not. And part of that work was, well, you know what's healthy? <laughs> is eating whatever I enjoy, <laughs> like eating foods I enjoy without feeling guilty. Gosh, I even say like, think about the stress we experience eating food. So even no matter what we're eating, we feel this stress, like that's, that's not good in our body. I said, it's always the things you can't see happening inside your body that you're experiencing, you know, we feel guilt in our thoughts and then our poor digestive systems, even like, okay, sorry. <laughs> I also want to point out moving the way we want to move. Mm -hmm. I abused exercise when I was in my eating disorder. There was no joy. There was no dropping into my body movement should be fun. And I hate to use the word should, but I would encourage it to be fun, to be, to have it move in ways that it wants to move, not on a stationary bike or a treadmill. And I also want to say there's a time and place for everything. I'm not saying there's anything wrong if somebody wants to go and they have a healthy relationship with exercise and it's snowing out and they want to go to the gym and they want to do the treadmill. So Please, everybody hear me. I'm not making a blanket statement that exercise bad, joyful movement good. I mean, again, time and place and depending on the intention from where, where things are coming from. But I also want to point out, I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot, first of all, so much of your story, I was like, uh-huh, 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 exactly what happened to me, right down to being called thunder thighs. I was called thunder thighs when I was younger by a family member who loves me more than anyone in the world. And to this day is apologizing. And I'm like, it's, it, it was one little piece of my eating disorder. Calling somebody thunder thighs is not going to make an eating disorder, but you shouldn't be joking. Another part of my eating disorder was not just about my body with the food, the calories, the exercise, whatever it was, 
but it was also because I had created such a lonely world that it became, and, and I'm very clear, I do not identify as somebody like I was, I would never say I was anorexic. I was bulimic. I was binge, a binge eater because that's a definition. I struggled with anorexia. I struggled with bulimia. See what I'm saying? So like when someone comes in my office and they're like, oh, I'm bulimic. I'm like, no, no, no. you have bulimia. Big, big difference. But one part of my eating disorder is because I was so lonely as a result of being in my eating disorder, that it took up all my time. This is why I say to clients, what would you be doing with your time if you weren't either acting out in behaviors or in your mind about behaviors? As I reflect on going to the gym, a big part of it is it was a big chunk of my day. And I had isolated myself to the point that I had no social plans. So it actually made me feel like I was out in the world. Like there's so many underlying issues that go into the behaviors. And so, and it is so much about the body. It is, you know, culturally and and the diet culture and whatnot. How do you work with somebody who walks in? So now we've talked about your four beautiful souls, these beautiful young, young women they're young, how do you help the person who walks in? They're 45 years old. They've been seeped in this culture for 45 years. And they say, there's something wrong with me. Diets aren't working. There's something wrong with me, X, Y, and Z. Put in whatever you like. How do you help somebody? I know that's like the million dollar question, but. I know, right. And, And I think even though we have similarities, right? All of us in our stories, similar struggles, similar pain points, everybody's story is unique. You know, one of the things I like giving space for is for the women I work with to tell their story, to actually talk it out. You know, think about what I just did here and how much, you know, if I was still struggling and I shared all of this, how many things we could dive into, how many things we could really work on, we could open up the door and say, let's talk about those food rules, right? Let's talk about what you grew up knowing as what you thought was truth, but doesn't serve you, that's harming you. And we really do start there. I will tell you, my first, first starting point is giving women this big open space to say, I have unconditional permission to eat. When we do that, when we start there, it's almost like relief and fear combined. Like I can eat, I can actually eat, like I'm going to eat, but oh my gosh, I'm going to eat. And we talk about the pendulum. We talk about this, you know, what happens when it's been so tightly wound up on the diet side and they're about to cut that string and it swings all the way to the other side. And what we find is all the work we do, the things we can dig into, those food rules, those messages, the names they were called, the things they thought about their body, the things they witnessed, those internalized messages, all of that is done when actually the pendulum swings to the other side and they are eating. Because then thoughts about food, well, can I have this? Should I be having this? Should I be working this off? Do I need to go to the gym? Well, I used to do this. And how do I not think about points and calories and macros? And and we actually can do the work when they're eating, when they've given themselves permission. And again, I open the door, but I encourage these women who have been, most of the women I work with, it is 25 years plus of solid yo-yo dieting. It is on and off, on and off, on and off. 
25 years of their life. I give them space to grieve the time, the money. I give them space to explore. You talked about movement and I don't, I think movement is so intertwined with weight loss that we forget our bodies are meant to move and that there's not supposed to be these rules and rigidness to that. And so they explore. I, I still am blown away by this one client. She discovered kickboxing. I don't care for it. And I was like, um, rock on, but she did all this exploration. Another one. Okay. Pole dancing as a workout because she decided like, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to be on a treadmill. I just, I'm not enjoying anything. She went with someone, tried this out and oh my goodness. Now, again, for her, she's like, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, you know, I'm enjoying this. I love it. I have never had a client again yet. Who's like, I'm doing pole dancing. I actually have a client who does parkour. I'm like, you, when you take off this messaging about movement, that exercise has to be about weight loss, about making your body smaller, or even those ridiculous messages, you know, of um, strong over skinny or whatever, all these, the wellness culture, just so intertwined with diet culture. When you just let it be about what would I like? I mean, think about how you get to show up in the kitchen. What would I like today? Like what sounds good showing up with movement that same way? So usually movement's one of those things in, at least in my practice with women, it comes later. It comes later. Sometimes they're doing some walking, maybe they're doing something, but they're breaking down so many messages that that comes a little bit later because they're so in their own thoughts about food because food becomes that number one thing. What they realize, you mentioned this, they've spent so much time thinking about what to eat, what not to eat, how much to eat, when to eat. Is Should I be having this? Should I not be having this? Is this good for me? Is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? When they start letting go, when they start defining health for themselves, when they start giving themselves permission to eat, they honor their hunger, they make peace with food. I've had them come to me and say, okay, now I, I think this is crazy, but I can't believe it. I don't even think about food anymore unless I'm hungry and I want something. That's usually the end of that sentence. I don't even think about it. Think about, I mean, I, I think if someone just took a day and observed your own thoughts for a day. Oh my God. And took note, like how much you think about food. Just try it as an experiment, right? Just take a day. And just notice how often you're thinking about it. And I'm saying anything to do with food. You know, did I eat too much? I had too much. Should I eat this? Is this right for me? Oh, I'm not really hungry. Oh, I'm stress eating. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now I feel bad. Like, it, did I eat that? And I put on weight. I mean, take a day, jot them down. Use your, you know, we got these phones that are with us all the time. Open up the notes section, jot it down each time. And then take note, how did you feel? Because, you know, if I'm thinking about like, what do I want for lunch today? I, I'm not in any way beating myself up, feeling guilty. I'm just like, what do I have in the house? Dang it. Do I have to go grocery shopping again? These kids keep eating food. But how do you feel? How do you feel when you have these thoughts? Because I think the emotion attached to the thought is so important. Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling guilty? Are you feeling shame? Are you feeling just consumed with um, overwhelm, anxiety about food. And then when you notice that, I think that's like the signal, you know, if we had to put a beaming light on that, all right, it's time to probably address this. It's time 
to probably dig in a little bit more and walk away from the thing that's taking, not giving, that is taking from us. You know, it's so funny because everything you're talking about, I'm like, I have a memory from that. I have a memory from that. I have a memory from that. I want to also say that I don't ever take for granted being recovered. And what I just was thinking of when you were saying, does that food make me feel anxious? Does it make me feel stressed? I still get giddy, Jennifer, when food makes me feel fabulous. Like when I bite into something and it's like dripping down my my the side of my mouth and it's like flavors I haven't tasted before put together, I get so excited. And I also want to be very clear, it took me years to get there. I don't say that lightly. I say it as somebody who kept going on the path of recovery to get to that point where I I I can I have visuals of myself right now taking bites of things that like friends have made that I'm like, oh my God, this is so delicious. And then I like that I can flash back to the time when I would be like crying if I saw my mother put a little bit of oil in a pan when she was cooking for me when I was, you know, deep in my eating disorder. It is, and it, by the way, it's still the same food. It is literally how you look at it. Oh yeah. It is the same food. Yeah. Right? I, my pizza. I always go I, this one. And it still gets me to this day because when I was deep in disordered eating, I ate pizza. I ate so much pizza. I was sick to my stomach. And then of course the punishment came in after, you know, I had to work off. I mean, the amount of calories I had to burn. Right. So everything was consumed with that. I eat pizza. Actually, we just had it recently. And I, I only had a piece of it. Just, it was so satisfying. It was so good. And I still just like you that first bite, I'm like, Oh yes, this is so good. And I have those moments. And I actually think that's such a beautiful place to be. And it did take a long time, long time. I get that question probably most often, it's probably one of those top five questions I get about this work is getting there. And I think it's because even when you know it's possible, you want to be there. Like, how long is it going to take? I just want to get there because this is peaceful. This is more joyful. I am so much happier. And it's not really about the pizza. I mean, pizza is delicious, good pizza, let's be honest, but it's not about the pizza. It's about the way I speak to and about myself. That is the difference. And so, yeah, like I can't say how long it'll take. Everybody's story is different. That's why I said, you know, where do we start? What's your story? Because yeah. your story matters. Your history, that timeline, your experiences matter. And they do affect maybe how long it will take you. Again, if you've been doing this 25, 30, I have, I had a client who was 70 years old. And it was since she was a teenager. That's a lot of undoing and redefining and thoughts to work through. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. And I still think, all right, there are some things that still come at me, right? We can't escape diet culture. If we can find a way, I will certainly be the first one to tell the entire world. We can't escape it. But now you have strategies, right? Those messages are still coming at us. We're still having to listen to the garbage that diet culture is selling. Oh, 
especially when they try co-opting intuitive eating language. Oh, my favorite. We won't even go there because we'd have a whole other episode on just that. But now it's like, all right, so now I have strategies. I don't stay there. I don't wake up in, in this body every day and be like, damn, like I'm beautiful and amazing. And my body's wonderful. There's just some days I'm like, ugh, all right. <laughs> like I'm just here today, but I don't stay there. It doesn't drag me down. It doesn't affect what I eat. I'm like, it is normal to have days where you're just like, meh, it's okay. That's the human experience. And even understanding that allows me just to be like, I'm just going to let that go. And then there's other days I'm like, I'm putting on the mascara, the lipstick, all of it. And I feel amazing. And I'm just amazing. Everything is amazing. And that those days aren't every day either. And even like going, I'm just going to live into what is present today. Use the strategies I have when those things come at me. I will tell you, I do not restrict any food any longer for any reason. That is something I don't compromise on. I don't, I, I, I don't do <laughs> when it comes to food. I just, I, I enjoy it. I love it. It doesn't always have to be pizza. No, it's not usually pizza. You were talking about something. Oh, you were talking about the dripping down. I had a bowl of Captain Crunch. Karen, I had a bowl of Captain Crunch. My, we wouldn't have sugary cereals growing up. So as an adult, you know, I'm a grown ass woman. I say I can have whatever I want when I want it. Um, and I had some Captain Crunch. You know, that's really delicious. It was like end of day, cold milk cereal. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was a total tangent, but I just had to ex experience if you haven't had cereal at night because you've been restricting or think cereal is not something you can eat. Just try it. Just try it. <laughs> I'm just going to throw another one out there. Fruity Pebbles. That was my thing. Oh. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? I loved the color that the milk turned. It was kind of pinkish, purpley. Captain Crunch does that. Not as vibrant as the Fruity Pebbles, but I'm telling you, there is a color difference. And I think, you know, pink is my color. So if there's a <laughs> hue of pink in there, I'm game. Like, yeah. let's talk. And I actually, I don't, you know, what's really interesting too about this is I actually don't like sweets that much. I get so much like slack for this. I, I posted on Instagram a long time ago that I don't like Oreos. And I just said it to your entire audience. And oh my gosh, the DMs lit up. They were like, how do you not like Oreos? I'm like, well, here's the thing. I know what I like. I would actually eat Oreos or like my Trader Joe's Oreos. Cause you know, I could only get them at Trader Joe's and I would eat those when I was stuck in my disordered eating. I'd allow myself to have one and I didn't even like it, but it was like, I was desperate to have something that felt like food that was fun. I mean, I just wanted it. When I finally got at the point of my healing journey, I was like, I hate Oreos. Like they're disgusting. I don't even eat cookies and cream ice cream. I seriously probably just alienated myself from most of your audience. But when you know, when you know, like I'm not going to waste my time, my energy on foods I don't love. Oh man, that's like such another game changer. Fruity, I'm going to go buy some Fruity Pebbles now because now I need to see the color difference though. <laughs> I'm telling you. And it's like drinking strawberry milk at the end. Mm. Right? Mm. 
Oh, now I'm oh like, God. now I'm getting sound. Now this is the thing that I love too. Like I feel so more in tune with my body. I'm starting to salivate. I'm like, right? Oh, I think we're going to have to, when we go to the store next, we might not get Captain yeah. Crunch. I'm going to be like, um, y'all want to try some food fruity pebbles in the house and, and see what happens. I think the name of this episode is fruity pebbles versus Captain Crunch. What do you think? <laughs> There it is, right? I love it. This is the real debate we should be having. Not if something's healthy, unhealthy, good or bad. We really should be deciding what is the superior cereal. I am game for that. You know, (laughs) Jennifer, you are phenomenal. I am so sorry. We have got to end. I could talk about this with you, all of these things for hours. And so what I often say to many guests at the end is, you're going to have to come back because we have a lot more to talk about, but I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Is there anything that I didn't ask you in this episode today (laughs) (laughs) that you'd want to share with listeners before we end? The only thing I think I want to add is that it's okay to start wherever you are. There's no right or wrong. There's no pass or fail, but starting is that first step into having true peace with food and your body. Jennifer, again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. I'm telling you, I have too much fun in life. (laughs) There's never, never. As I I was saying that, I was like, is there such thing as too much fun? Just think if you have this much fun working, which I don't consider this work, but it's still part of my workday. Like, imagine how much fun life is outside of work. (laughs) Just, I'm going to end there. (laughs) All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at recoverybitespod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.